0: Logical Progression, Year 4, Chapter 14, Lesson 4 (laughs) Bismillah rahman rahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli wa sallim, mubarak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlul hazna idha shaita sahla Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shikrika wa husni' ibadataka ya Rabbil karim Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yaikum Allah. I hope you guys had a good weekend. Those went Umfest. I hope that um, you enjoyed yourself. I heard it was very, very good, masha'Allah. As for those who've been asking about myself, tazakum Allahu I'm doing okay. Uh, recovering well and um, just been uh, virused out. Man flu kind of thing. So I'm a bit giddy at the moment. Got lots of coding inside me. Um, so bear with me if I start yani, talking funny stuff. Although to be honest, a normal lesson, I don't know how do you differentiate between. <laughs> no lesson, more, fun <laughs> more, more funny stuff, sah? More funny stuff, or maybe some nonsense, Yani. Maybe some nonsense. Maybe it makes sense now. Huh? Uh, maybe it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's <laughs> alright. It's okay. <laughs> he has to have this <laughs> one. He has to give water shot. To correct. <laughs> this is, Masha'Allah. <laughs> well done. Anyway, attacking, so attacking huh? the penny and the finger uh, quality streets. Sah, sah, sah. Shazad very upset. Yeah, he's very upset. He's very upset because obviously there's something wrong with the guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had some quality street box, and as I offered the box, he's going he's going through them all, and I saw the the, the purple one get woofed out of the way. I saw the green one get with the hand. I, yeah, I said, this is a dream. I said, this is a dream. And he chose Yanni, the bakwas one. You know, the, the thin uh, <laughs> toffee one, the hard one. Even It's not even toffee, to be honest. If I had toffee, you know, toffee is going to be nice and soft and nice and whatever. But I don't know. And he picked the round one. The one that you can't give away. all right? And then the hard one, which Yani you normally give to kids... Basically, just suck on. The, you know, to bribe them. And Shazad was taking it willingly. I was like, yes, salam. Amazing. So there's always, and so I, I said, so never assume anything. There's always someone out there, basically. That's just weird. Yeah. So that's why he's upset that I called him weird. Anyway, today's lesson is going to be, um, uh, inshallah, covering a number of things. Like I put, a, a, like I wrote about half an hour, an hour ago, whatever. Uh, some interesting uh, applications of some principles to current events from today as well, bi And um, uh, what I wanted to do is to really um, I, kind, I, I wasn't too happy with my presentation of the issue last week on the issue of the Imam uh, or the Mu'addin receiving a payment. I don't know, I wasn't comfortable during it. I don't know whether it was because I was aware of Sheikh Abdul-Badi and not wanting to give um, and not wanting to cut his time or something. I, 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 just, I don't think it was very structured. So um, I just wanted to maybe go through that again in a, a few minutes, but in a more structured fashion so that folks who are like writing, wanting to write down in a formal kind of way, that they will. Um, which, which brings up another point. Um, uh, who's sending this email and when or what? It's going to go now, I wanted to so I'm going to speak about it now that's why so yeah so it will go on I'll Okay think. so um, which the link, the link is going to go on the comments page Right so which brings me to a point okay um talking about notes and talking about uh structure and so on <laughs> You will know that this class now is in its fourth year you will also know that alhamdulillah that it has a I'm just uh, obviously in a masjid you guys know yani you know or the people behind the camera who do all the work and and get it sorted. Um, But the people online, they only see my face and they don't know that there's obviously a significant team, or I'm I'm guessing now that they do. And of course, part of this significant team is the team which prepares the notes. And we have have two separate teams that prepare the notes. Um, The first team uh, produces transcribed notes. Transcribed notes means that literally every single word is written down, that I say, right? And that, that means nonsense and correct and teaching and fun and joke, all written down and then is presented as some kind of reading experience and a person takes from that what he needs to whatever. Which, by the way, is exactly this book. I've said this before, and in case you didn't know, Al-Sharh Al-Mumti' by sheik Al-Uthameen is exactly that. He never wrote this book. In fact, he never wrote the majority of his books. In fact, I wonder how many he books he actually wrote by his hand. Okay? The majority of Sheikh Uthameen's books, all of his shuruah, his commentaries, all of his explanations to the Aqidah texts, and then certainly all of his tafsir books, Okay, that you will see, because you'll see now that majority of it, there's a Maktabat al-Sheikh Uthameen that exists. It was a charity that was set up after his passing. This charity was set up by his senior students in Saudi. A lot of uh, people donated to it. And basically what they intended to do is that after the passing of Sheikh Uthameen, alihi rahmatullah, they said that what we're going to do is we'll get all of his work, and we're going to put it out there at very cheap prices, uh, available on the internet for free for anyone who wants to do it, and, and, for, and for buying uh, physical copies, and very, very cheap, literally cost price. And um, we'll get all of his lectures from old, and we'll, put them into, we'll transcribe them. Which is a huge process. I mean, it's a mission. So this took ages. This was done many years ago, all right. And so they listened to every single thing and they wrote it all down. And that's why it's, it comes a book. It comes. As, it comes across as a chatty kind of book with modern examples and so on and so forth. Obviously, I will be cutting a lot out of that because there's a, a, some a matters of relevance and not so much so relevant to our particular culture and so on. Um, but the same thing has been done, okay, for this class, and those transcribed notes are available. Um, for all the previous years and uh, about half of this year so far, okay, on the website. And it's a hu- it's like thousands of pages already. Right? Thousands of pages. Um, the other team what they do is that they go through all of the class in the notes and they produce revision notes. So they pick out the key facts and it's literally, you know, skim reading. And that's great for someone who's just trying to re- for refresh what's going on and whatever. Now my question to you is this, Okay. Um, we're sending out an email now to everyone. It's in the inbox now. Okay, send in the inbox now. And I want you to answer the poll and answer the question in that that uh, uh, there's a free writing space about your opinion on whether we should continue with transcribed notes. The reason for that is because it is a massive investment of a team of people of many hours. Okay? And our justification for it Even financial justification, because some money has to be invested into it as well, but really it's the time and the management behind it and the people that are involved in it, which is my main concern. Um, My justification was that, one, it would allow students who are currently studying a perfect copy of exactly what they need to know, official, not person's mistakes or not, whatever, pretty much close to an official transcribed thingy. Um, even though I have to say, I haven't checked every single page, but done, I do random checking and I'm pretty confident with it. And so therefore you get all the Qur'anic ayats or hadith that I might quote, that you might miss, and, and so on and so forth. So it's for the current students. And the second kind of thing was, um, there as you know, a number of people, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them, in this dunya and in akhir, Allahumma ameen, they responded to the call to support this class um, financially. And alhamdulillah, uh, they are doing that. And I promised them a couple of things. I promised them that, number one, that they would receive the sadaqah jariah of the people who are attending and currently experiencing the class as it is. But, you know, all this technology, this, this little it dustbin here, you can see. You can have, anyone seen this little trash can here? It's like three grand, this trash can. Yeah? You'd probably buy that at Audi for like five quid, right? But apparently it's a computer, right? And this computer allows, yani, you know, this class to go out on HD and people to really kind of benefit from a clear experience and so on. So that was part of it, that more people would obviously, as, as you know, people who see something high quality, high audio, high visual, they're more likely to, 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 to stick with it. So we'll get more people to actually benefit from it, and they will then tell other people, etc. The people who invested, I also promised them that the notes would be, then spread, vision notes, points of benefit, events, one-off, you know, and so on. But I also intended for those folks that there would be a sadaqa for them when they pass away as well, when we all pass away. And the idea was is that these transcribed notes, which will, in the end, whenever they're published, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever is published, whatever stage we're at, whether we're complete or not complete, it will be, in my opinion, hundreds and thousands of pages. Yani equivalent to what we see in the classical Arabic collections, 20, 30 volumes of 1,000 pages each, and so on and so forth, right? Thousands of very detailed fiqh, okay, but in English, at the level that we're covering. That was an idea. Then we had our discussion and said, is that realistic? Not the producing of it, that's going to happen because it's done already. Then it's just given to a publisher, they put it into a a software and job done. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it realistic that we think that in 10, 20 years or in however many years or even now, people are going to be actually using that medium? Do we have the confidence that people will read, whether electronically or whether physical hard, hard copy? Do we believe that? Is that just wishful thinking, fanciful kind of musing on our behalf? Do we genuinely believe that, that that is going to actually be of benefit to people? Is there a core number of people that we think will want to in the English language, spend some time with this and understand and read even in this informal, jocular kind of manner, um, still want to benefit from it? Do you understand the, the, the dilemma? And We want to have absolute confidence before we go ahead and make the next investment of time and money that this is a project that's worth pursuing and represents the best interest of the people who invest in this program to allow it to be free and to allow many more people to benefit. So that's the question. I hope you understand what I'm asking, online especially. So those who are here, make sure you go and you um, uh, share your views and we will assess all of that, answer the questions. And especially in the free space, write and say and you know give us some kind of insight whether you think people will will do will you know will benefit inshallah. Can you clarify what will be left then? So when you say there will be revision notes, are we talking about brief bullet points, powerpoint slides, or actually even more substantial than that? So so at the moment, okay, we have the full detailed transcribed All notes. Unsubscri- yeah, 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 absolutely everything in very nice order, See. formatted and clean and everything. And then we have revision notes. We have that already. And that has PowerPoints and yes. slides and bullet points and key <coughs> revision factors and, and facts and so on and so forth. Yeah? Uh, that already exists. And there's also a side project which we will do, which is to actually produce a, um, a, a, a kind of a chart version Of what we've done as well. Yeah, tabulated one as well, because I just got that recently, an Arabic one, which can be put back into the English. That's something that we can do. There is always the dream that somehow we can uh, take some of the more popular lessons and turn it into some kind of visual kind of easy aid, you know, but that requires a graphics expert, person who's going to, you know, give their time for free and, and so on and so forth. That's probably dreaming. But that, that exists already. And that second thing is always going to continue because that's the most used by people, yeah? The, the short notes. And even I recommend, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, I missed year one, I missed year two, I missed year three. What, should, what do I do? Do I watch all of the videos? And I come across many of those folks in classes that I go to now. And I tell them straight, no. Because if they're a male, working, whatever, it's not happening. If they're a female at home, housewife, house mom, whatever, maybe. That's like 80, 90, 100, 120 hours of pure video. You'd have to be at home full time to watch that kind of thing. Working man now, he's not got a time to watch all that. So I say to them that just look at the revision videos. It's about an hour, two hours for each year. So that's like six, seven, eight hours you're done for the entire, you know, whatever. And you'll see the main points, the main issues, the main differences, the main rulings. And the revision points will give you the main points. If you read them in an hour, you're done. Literally covering like the... The 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 three years of contact, so that's very popular, and we're going to support that, and that's led by Zafar and by uh, Idris and uh, some other brothers and some other folks, Um, but it's the transcribed notes which is the one we're talking about. Okay, so I'd like you to think about that and respond to that email, and it's also in the comment section as well. Okay, in our uh, uh, on the portal. Okay, so back to the issue then of the uh, text which. the text that we're covering today is, um, it is not permissible to take a wage for either, but it is is allowed to receive a sum from the treasury if no volunteers can be found. Okay? So, I wanted to just remind you that the uh, ulama that considered it to be haram, okay, therefore for a wage to be taken, they based it upon... One, the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will only accept an action which is done solely for his sake. And therefore, if we have a person who says, uh, uh, do, we say to him, do the adhan. He says, only if you pay me 50 pounds, okay. Then that's something impermissible. Because he's doing it for the sake of the money. So it's a very clear kind of equation for them, okay. It's like, I will only do it for that, 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 that reason. And also, I, I quoted this hadith yesterday. The hadith of Uthman uh, ibn Abi Al As anhu wa ardahu that when the Prophet ﷺ said sent him to Ta'if to be the governor of Ta'if, he said to him, uh, 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 Abu Uthman, he said, uh, sorry, Uthman uh, ibn Abi Al As, what he said is that the last thing that the Prophet ﷺ told me before I left Yani and came to Ta'if, the last thing that he told me, he said that make sure that you put in place a uh, uh, put in place a muazzin who doesn't take payment. That's the last thing that he told me. And uh, we, uh, so that's the, the evidence. And we spoke about the, the strength of that hadith. Some said it's not very strong and whatever. But let's assume it's authentic. And uh, I told you the ayah. And the fact that the salaf, the companions, the tabir'in, they were very strict on this issue. I quoted a few statements. I told you about Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu very harsh statement from him because he was at the Kaaba I told you about this, yes? And a man came to him, waking Dawaf, and he said, I love you for the sake of Allah because he's Abdullah ibn Umar and he said to I hate you for the sake of Allah. And so that was obviously a very shocking thing to hear. And he said, why is that? He goes, because I, you take payment for the adhan. And we understand the statement to be that I will not give the adhan unless I get paid. And so he was shocked about that. And Imam Ahmed himself, he also said, that um, it was said to him that this is a person who wants to, you know, there's a person who will not pray the tarawih behind, uh, you know, uh, unless he gets paid. And he said that, yani, someone gonna, who's gonna, he said, Billah, who's gonna pray behind such a person, yani, in his opinion. Therefore, the official position of the Hanbali and the Hanafi school is that it is impermissible to take a payment. And the scholars who's allowed it, who allowed the payment to be taken. And there's a detail and a, a difference amongst the scholars as well, amongst, within those two Madahib, are the Malikis and the Shafi'is. And the reason that they allowed it is because of another hadith, and I, I mentioned a couple of evidences, but I just wanted to mention this one. And this is a hadith which is Hassan with all of its uh, chains. It's the hadith of uh, uh, Abu Mahdura, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he said that um, the, Prophet the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he taught me the words of the Adhan. And then he called me, and after I had given the Adhan, uh, After I had completed the Adhan, he gave me a little wallet, a little purse, and it had some silver in it. Okay? And so for them, therefore, they considered it permissible. Of course, the other scholars, they said, no, this purse indicates the permissibility of taking a payment. Meaning taking a gift, there's a big difference yeah, any between doing something, not contracting it, and just doing it, and then receiving something as a nice surprise or whatever, and or you know someone saying that I'm not going to etc etc. You, you get the difference, yeah? That's the difference between a contract and a gift. So those are the the two basic uh, positions. Um, saying that was a gift. No, the, 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 uh, correct. They they will they, they will see it as a gift. The, 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 the scholars who allow it will say it's a payment regardless it doesn't matter whether it's a payment that was contracted or not contracted whatever, the scholars who say no it's haram, they'll say you're using this hadith but this hadith is not to be applied here because this was a gift this was not a contract, it was not a wage that was agreed with contractually beforehand so there's an interesting point there uh, Sheikh Muhammad mukhtar al-Shanqiti alayhi rahmatullah, he mentions a point and that's what we're going to discuss now he says that um, it, it is an important principle that we want to introduce to the students of Fiqh is that there are two phrases you need to know: al-Madhhab and al-Muftabihi. Al-Madhhab and al-Muftabihi. Al-Madhhab means the official formal position of the, of the school of the Madhab. All right. Al-Muftabihi is a statement that exists within the Madhab as a fatwa to be applied in certain cases and certain times. Okay. So, the mufta bihi, the position which is a fatwa in a madhab, okay, is going to be applied in difference to the madhab. Otherwise, it make no difference to call a mufta bihi a position if it's the same as a madhab. We'll just apply the madhab and the story. So, obviously, by definition, the fatwa is going to be different in its ruling than the um, than the impermissible point. Now, the madhab. In the Hanbali madhab, the position, al madhab, and that's how the ulama will say, what's the position? They say al madhab is a tahrim. But the mufta'bihi, al permissable. So they will say the madhab position, it's impermissible. But the mufta'bihi, the position that we give a fatwa by, is that it is allowed. That it is allowed. It is allowed. And the fatwa with the permissibility of time and place uh, so basically what the Sheikh says, he goes that the, 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 the fatwa that we say that it is allowed, it is allowed on the basis of an important rule. al ikhtilaf zaman la bil Walburhan. He goes that the difference of opinion that we allow the fatwa to be given in variance to the official position is because of the different time not because of the evidence being any weaker or stronger is that clear let me, let me explain that again al ikhtilafu bizaman la bil hujja wal burhan let me just translate this this قاعدة, this maxim okay differences are to be based upon the the time what's another word for the time cuz that, that will be confused period, period. Era. era yeah era i think is better differences are to be based upon the era not, uh, 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 not proof and evidences. Does that make sense? Differences are only to be based upon the era, not proofs and evidences. What does that mean? It means that the the madhab will only accept this this uh, the existence of this fatwa because time and place and culture and needs have changed. Not because the evidences of the other parties have become stronger or ours are not applicable anymore. So that's very important. It's very, very important to understand that. And uh, if you might say, what's called the semantics? Yeah, I mean, why do we need to establish this principle? Well, imagine if we didn't. What would happen? Imagine we didn't put this principle in play. Imagine we didn't put. What, what, what ultimately is this maxim? Is it a? Is, is it uh, uh, Yanni? What, what kind of word would you use to describe this maxim? What does it do to the issue? What you're saying is that a certain set of rules apply to certain things. Good. Table. Good. So, so what would we call that in English? It's a restriction. Yeah, it contextualises it. It's a restriction, right? And that's very important. If we do not put this restriction, if we do not apply parameters, that's when you get people saying that hijab today, um, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an that they should wear the hijab so they are not yani, uh, harmed. then, Right? So they're not harmed. And today, the women are getting harmed because of the hijab. And so therefore, we should throw the hijab off. The uh, uh, beard is something which is based upon uh, the the, the uh, for those who said this, they said that the reason uh, a male a male uh, 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 leaves his beard is to be different to the Jews and the Christians. And today, uh, all the Jews and Christians are having beards, and so you are not different anymore by your beard. You're not distinguished between them and you by your beard. And so, what I'm saying is that if you do not restrict this this reality, okay then you're going to fall into all kinds of danger. Fiqh is going to basically become in the hands of everyone. Everyone's going to start making decisions about, you know, what the reality of their time is and what it isn't and so on. And That's a very, very, yanny. Uh, we, we want to avoid that, obviously. And so, therefore, what we're basically saying is that if there is a need for the matter, if there is a need, then we will relax the, the issue. We will relax the issue. And there's no doubt that in our time today, okay, that there is a need. And um, Obviously, they put the Hanbalis put a condition in their next statement, لَا رَزْقِ, uh, لا رزق, لا, لا رزق مِن بَيْتِ الْمَالِ Not talking about the... Uh, 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 what did I say? How did I translate that last time? What did we say? But it is allowed to receive a sum from the treasury if no volunteers can be found. A sum here, رَزْقِ Okay, is understood as al-mukafaa, something to look after this person, but not on a contractual basis. Okay, and even that, it's like there's three levels. There's a contract, there's a payment to look after the the costs of this imam, and there's nothing. Do it on a voluntary basis. It's like these three kind of levels. Right, And they want it, and all the scholars want the person to give it, to be someone who's doing it voluntarily, therefore there's no doubt about that person, no yeah, any issues, we don't have any suspicion about him, doing it for the sake of Allah, doing a great job. And then if that's not possible, then you know what, we've got extra money, and you know what, this guy is miskeen and poor, he needs some help, he doesn't have another job, so let's give him a sum of money every once in a while, and make sure that it Last, and we want intelligent administrators, trustees of the masjid, to recognize that, and not just say, let's just get away with whatever we can, you know, pack attitude, let's give them a couple of quid here and there, and blag it, right? No, there's got to be some people who are progressive and understand that this is a new world, new time, with new costs, and therefore it should be, uh, you know, and then there's a third level, which is a person actually goes, he spends time, he doesn't have any other uh, possession, uh, 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 profession, and therefore he wants to be, actually become a professional member, you know, uh, and so on. And so, what Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti is saying, and he's giving the fatwa, and this is the class position, and this is something which we are arguing about, is that it is permissible if there is a need to actually have a contract for a person, as long as, of course, they are advised that they should not, you know, let it uh, get in the way of doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How would you do that practically? Very difficult, really. If a person says that, you know, if you, uh, if you advertise, we need a new mu'adzin, right? And you say 15,000 pounds. And a guy comes, he says, I I answered the, the, the role, and I can do this, and I will commit to it properly, but £15,000, that's not covering anything for my family, my costs, and so on. And so, I want it to be 30000 And then I'll do it. Now, do we put this in the category of, this is a person who refused to give the adhan unless he said, pay me this much? It is, isn't it? Really, technically speaking. Okay? If he said, and what's the difference between this person saying, no, I want £50 for the adhan, otherwise I'm not doing it, and a person negotiating a contract at the beginning. So you can see people will take it both ways. You'll see some will say, that's exactly what it is, he's refusing to give the adhan unless he's getting a payment. And others will say, well, he's not, he's not really, he wants to negotiate something fair, which the administrators would not give themselves, because they can't be trusted. Because if we had confidence in our trustees and our administrators and said, you know what, they will look after this person, they, will give it. they won't do silly behaviour and you know, just treat him like a tramp, basically, and they will actually look at this person and they won't write a contract down, but they definitely will look after him every month and his costs because he's spending his entire time, whatever, then you know, he wouldn't have to then have these negotiations. But because he knows that that's not likely to happen, then he has those, ne- those negotiations. Does that make sense? So that's one of the difficulties that we have. Because of that lack of trust in the trustees and, and the administrators of the masjid, we are, we are sensitive to the contract negotiations of a masjid employee, of the muadhin and the imam and so on. Um, I also want to add that if Sheikh Mohammed uh, al-Mukhtar al-Shanqiti, he believes that this permission is allowed because of the need, then we will add that in a non-Muslim country that needs even more. See, for example, what he says is that if you look at the uh, uh, reality of, of the religion today, there is not a... Um, think about this for a second. When you look at the situation of the Muslims today, you're either a great optimist or a pessimist. All right? And the optimists, they look at uh, you know what they see as... A huge Islamic revival compared to 30 years ago, 40 years ago, Muslims were not practicing openly. Muslims were not vocal about their religion. Muslims were not were were, uh, you know secular in their religion at at best, not taking it to the streets, not making it political like it has to be, etc., etc. Today, they'll say there's such a, a massive change. Many, many people, lots of dawah, full conferences, classes, dawah, everything. Muslim figures, blah blah blah, everyone loves Islam, blah 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 blah. That's the optimistic kind of way of looking at it. Um, the pessimistic way of looking at it would be that if you look at the percentage numbers of practicing people compared to the Muslim community, it's minuscule. It's minuscule. If you look at the people at Fajr al-Isha, compared to what the Muslims should be, it's minuscule. If you look at the amount of noise, one of the very, one of the very um, useful things that I learned uh, uh, working at different places with different professionals and amongst the Muslims is just the restriction. The um, uh, you know, like we live in a time where where social media has changed, not just, hasn't hasn't just changed the world, but it's changed the mindsets of people. All right. So let me give you an example of this. There are people who actually believe their own hype. All right. They look at a Facebook page or a Twitter page or a YouTube channel, and so on and so forth, and they look at numbers. And for them, numbers are everything. And, and they consider that because there's so many huge likes, huge followers, huge views, that this represents some kind of progress. It represents some kind of khair, yeah, and there's some kind of intrinsic good. And I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, right? Okay? But let me tell you a few things that people should know. Um, people can buy Facebook likes. People are doing that all the time. Okay? And they do that hundreds and thousands and hundreds and thousands, all right? And that's on Twitter and on Facebook and so on and so forth. And many of the, um, currently, um, I've been asked so many times about this question. And it's because I don't have the time at the moment, but I have my intention over the next month to look at this. There's a new scheme. You know, remember last year's whole big fad was ACN, right? Uh, ACN, this pyramid scheme. Of how you know people are being asked to whatever and I told you it's haram, and it took a long time to look into it, etc. The one now is something called traffic monsoon. All right, there's a new kind of scheme out there which people are using to make money as well online, etc., etc. Now, um, I don't want to go into that now, but I just want to just share a little uh, snippet of some of the thoughts that I have developed whilst looking into it. that one of the issues which I A reason why I've told people who are close to me without going public that I think it's impermissible and that it should be stayed away from at least until I confirm it is because one of the aspects of it is creating a false impression intentionally of one's grandeur and one's excellence and so on. You see, part of that business model is um, allowing companies to basically create an inflated sense of themselves, either via visits or hits. In, in order to increase ranking, or in order to actually physically increase what is an appearance of likes, and so on and so forth. And my question is, my question is, is that if you are part of a system that allows an Islamic figure, or even a non-Muslim company, whatever, to basically present itself as it having a, a one, 10 million followers, okay, which you inflated from a real figure from around 1 million, does 10 million have any, what we call, tangible value? In mu'amalat, when, when we give fatwa on issues of modern day times, one of the most difficult areas that we are dealing with okay, is how do we measure intangible realities when intangible realities did not exist at the time of... The Prophet the majority of the time, it wasn't intellectual copyright, it wasn't potential goodwill, it wasn't the idea that was worth worthy of, of, of protecting, but mostly it was physical things. And so therefore, how do we actually uh, deal with questions that are, are asking about intangible realities that we can't quantify or qualify even? Is it, does going from 1 million to 10 million on Facebook represent something? Does it have a value? Um, I would say that people who know would say, yes, it does. It builds confidence in the brand. It makes you think that everyone is really interested in it, that they are. That this is a well-known and, and popular one, not a sly secret one that just opened up yesterday, etc., etc. And that might actually encourage you to make a purchase from that company in difference to one which only has 50 followers and has genuinely done it the hard way and so on and so forth. So I'm just saying that this is one of the questions that needs to be answered when it comes to answering the whole traffic monsoon uh, issue in whole. And that goes back to the point that I'm trying to make that actually, many of these like Twitter followers, you'll see in there was a big scandal, and many of the Saudi scholars, you see, you know, Saudi Arabia has one of the largest Twitter percentages of, of people who are on Twitter as a country on the world level. He okay. has a, a huge amount of users. And the Saudi scholars are very big on Twitter in Saudi, specifically. And there was a scandal where it was discovered that a number of them were purchasing followers. Okay. And you'll see some huge numbers, ridiculous numbers, and like 10 million, 5 million, X million, whatever. And it's done via all kinds of things. And I just want to say that, you know, first of all, a lot of these numbers are fake. Number two, the following of a person online is literally just that. It's a code. It's a ticking whatever. You know when I want to put optimism into this person and their da'wah and the state of the Muslims, I'm not that stupid. I am me. And I hope that everyone else will also not be. That stupid to judge a person and his work and his fruit by some figures online and whatever. We want to see on the impact on the ground. We want to see are people actually just liking stuff on Facebook or are they actually saying... You know what, that guy really inspired me to now pray Dhuhr, to now give extra in charity. Are we actually seeing a translation of this popularity online and social media to the real world? That's a question that I have, okay? Another point is uh, YouTube, for example. A lot of people look at a YouTube video and say, man, that video's got a million views, or 100,000 views. You know what? What people don't realize is that a view is classified as soon as you click on it. And after you stop watching after like three seconds, that view is still counted. Uh, We have a a, a Vimeo account or YouTube account, whatever it is, and it shows you the stats behind your videos. And it might show 10,000 as people who have viewed it, but it will show 20 people that have actually watched it from beginning to end. And it can measure it. But you don't know that as a punter. You look at this video and say, rah, this is the guy behind the video that got 100,000 views. And actual fact, there's only like a few people that watch the damn thing and learn and so on. you understand what I'm trying to say about optimism? Are you optimistic when you see that people watch that many videos? And when I look at something like that, I'm saying, I'm looking at very different glasses. I know what's happening behind the scenes. How many people watched it all the way through, learnt it, studied it, memorised it, revised it, and then applied it? That's, yani, uh, an issue. So, um... I personally believe that we are miles off. There's a lot of hot air out there, very little work on the ground. Our masajid are still largely empty. We still see very little actual yani uh, da'wah on the streets. And I believe genuinely that we're in a bad place without saying that the Ummah is destroyed because the one who said that, the, he is the most destroyed of them. And there's always hope and we're always optimistic for the future. But for people to look at the time now and say that we do not need major change of thought, mindset and incentives to bring people back into positions, then I want to say that we're in trouble. Big trouble. Now you look at uh, the imam position and the muazzin position. I think that you have to pay them. I told you that the class position is not only that we have to pay them. I believe they should be given contracts. I also believe not only that they should be given contracts, but be offered significant money. I think that it's an absolute disgrace, the amount of money that we offer our professional uh, imams and muaddins and masjid administrators. And this differs from place to place. There are folks who are watching this in the States. I've told all my students, wherever I go, that, you know, you know when, we, when, we, when we teach and when we talk, we always have a little laugh and a joke about the different communities, okay? Let me share some of that and remind of you again that when it comes to the Muslim community, I always compare it in three parts. I call it the UK uh, South African model. Sorry, I call it the South African model. The UK model, Australian model, and then the American model. And really these are three these are three uh, these are three stations on a chronological line of time. If you look back to Islam practised as a as a actual, purposeful, forceful, visible, strong identity, that's my condition, okay? Then it will be South Africa first. It will be then UK, Australia next, and it will be then America last. People might put America first because they see all the slaves that went there. They were just slaves and they remained slaves for hundreds of years. It's only in recent times where professionals and immigrants went in that communities become very strong, politically aware, financially strong, etc. Whereas in South Africa, they were doing that donkeys years ago. All right they have been a strong visible identity, you go there, you feel it, you see it, Muslims run things, they are in control, very rich, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, comparatively speaking. Us as well, we've been in that position from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Okay? The Americans only in the last 20, 30 years, that's why we are more politically developed, that's why the South Africans are miles ahead. Okay? And so you see these realities. So the Americans are the most inexperienced, the most inexperienced when it comes to the existence of a practical modern day Islam. And yet, and so therefore, now let's look at the religion that's practicing these three areas and compare it to the chronological development as I said. If you look at South Africa, they are without doubt the most extreme. It's like a ghetto. Yeah, I say that whenever I go there and I tell everyone here as well. When you go to South Africa, there are some parts of the country, I mean it is completely obviously black or white or whatever the dominant kind of culture is there, but you would not know it as a Muslim, you could completely you know, go about and do your thing, national holidays, masajid, yani all the shops, non-Muslim shops all pandering to the Muslims, yani, uh, 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 halal sign is a proud thing, so they would put up halal in order to get business. You know, in our KFCs and whatever here, they make it as small as possible so they don't get jumped by the EDL or whatever, right? So it's a bestie for them here. It's an absolute impossibility for those in America. Whereas in South Africa, anyone who has half a brain advertises they're Muslim friendly. The concept of Nando's being halal, for example, started there, of course. They realized there'd be nothing without the Muslim community and so many restaurants. and so many, You know, when you see these big kind of companies, I, I, I could be wrong here and I hope someone from South Africa would correct me. You know Sunfoil? We don't know Sunfoil, except that when we're watching the cricket, you see Sunfoil everywhere, right? Sunfoil is the big sponsor behind the Test cricket series in England, between England and South Africa. I think Sunfoil is a Muslim, country, a Muslim company. The, all the big, big kind of companies are Muslim-owned. The big washing-up powder companies, the big vegetable oil companies—they're all those Gujjis and Memons that killed it. Yeah, they're not PACs, man. They are hardcore businessmen. They smacked out the park, right? Anyway, and as a result of that financial strength and that ghetto, or whatever, they have some madrasas wherever they want, rules wherever they want. They come out with the crazy stuff. It's scary sometimes, yeah, I mean, whatever. So conservative then we're quite old school as well. And that's why we, are, we have that bit of a mix. But we are quite a relatively conservative culture as well. So you look at Americans, and they're always written off as the most liberal. Yes, the most waste of time, hype and uh, corporate and joke and not hijab and this, that. That's that popular kind of content. And we laugh at them as a result of it. And obviously there are some, this is just general stereotypes, there are exceptions. If you take that paradigm, we would expect therefore the Americans to really be the last people that we should look at to get things right. And we should look at the South Africans to be the first people to get things right. And in actual fact, it's the other way around, especially in this issue. You go to the States and you see the way that they treat their masajids and their people. And even though there there's major problems there as well, but I'm speaking comparatively to England. It's a different world. They will have an imam that will be on $100,000 dollars. All right, depending upon the size of the masajid. Okay? A big masajid might even justify 150 for someone who can bring in funding and who, can, who is a public voice, etc., etc., and so on and so forth. Or 50,000, 60,000, f- figures that are un- impossible to be considering in a country like this. They will not only have the imam be paid as a position, they will have a position called a youth coordinator. And I know you're thinking, what on earth is a youth coordinator? And I'm saying to you, a youth coordinator is another guy who gets paid in a masjid. Can you believe that? A second paid position of a guy who does the youth work and the da'a work. And there are other people and there's offices. and yani They run their masajid like a, like a corporate kind of approach. And they take a lot of criticism for it. But if you're a student of this class and you understood this chapter, then actually what they have done is adapted the sunnah for the current time. That's the only way that we're going to survive. That's the, that's the frank reality. We do not live off a stipend. Or, is it stipend or stipend? Sure, I'm going to go with you, bro. Stipend. Well, I've always been unclear whether it is a stipend or stipend. But we're talking about a regular payment, I mean, okay? From a standing order from Saudi Gulf countries or whatever. And now it's even dangerous to receive something like that. So you're on your own. And so therefore, you've got to raise your own money, and you've got to deal with the current situation. We're living at a time, like I said, and that's the whole point I was explaining, the optimism, pessimism point, where the Muslims are not turning to the religion and its key institutions in the way that we should. We don't need, we don't need more people making videos and talking nonsense and making debates. What we need is more people memorizing the Quran and, and memorizing secular degrees in philosophy and leadership and leading masajid like proper men, like proper women, like proper... Uh, organizations like institutions going and bringing benefit to the people. Uh, uh, resident scholars. The concept of resident scholar, for example, is alien. Alien to this country. Hold on, there's a third job that gets paid for. Yeah, any? Okay. In America, 100,000. 150,000. 50,000, depending upon what kind of community, what kind of area, depending upon the value that the people value their, their, their scholars. And still, by the way, there are major problems because the cost of living is increasing, it's not enough, and you'll see many scholars are unhappy in the States about their position. If they were over here, they'd have a heart attack. <laughs> Okay, here if the imam gets paid or someone says I want to be paid for an event or I want to be paid for this that whatever it's like what happened to Allah brother what happened to this what happened blah 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 and so it's very important that we understand that if we are truly to embrace this principle that a difference in time produces a difference in ruling then you know what we have not done that in this country and other places have, have given us the lead and I want to say to you that um you know you know people from the from the West born in the West? I just do not see them have the desire to lead like Salah for example, to be imams. I wouldn't want to be, I couldn't do it. I, I could I couldn't do it. The amount of time that's needed, the amount of investment, the amount of hate I couldn't handle. I can't handle that level of hate. Yani, honestly our Sheikh Yani SubhanAllah he's like the best ever. I'm talking about Imam, Yani, right? And honestly, he gets so much grief he gets so much grief and he's like a sponge. Right? He's a sponge. He just soaks it all up. And he's like, got a whole row of, yani, old uncle, Pakistani uncle's behind him. Uh, and he's miskin Somali, right? Okay? And he just basically just soaks it all up, whether it's you're praying wrong or you're praying at the wrong time or you made Masa or you did wrong qira'a, or you did X or you did Y or we prayed... Did you, yani, the other, uh, just Even I was here last night. Last night, Yani SubhanAllah, we prayed for a Isha. One of the uncles, Yani gives salam. He goes, You prayed three. You prayed three. Everyone's <laughs> looking at me. What's happening, bro? Yaani. no, you prayed three. One of the other uncles, had Yanni to yani, just say to him, Listen, shut up, man. We prayed four. I all the way through. was just like, I couldn't handle that behavior. Yanni, to be an imam, yeah, is next level you know, pressure, responsibility, whatever. And you talk about the imam, we had this discussion at the beginning, forget that imam, what about the mu'adzin? <coughs> oh my God, the Mu'addin. The Mu'addin. And it makes me laugh when I read that statement, that if there is no volunteers to be found, then we will give them a money from the treasury. Volunteers? Who's going to volunteer? You see, you get this young, young uh, hot shot comes in, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I want to give the adan for Maghrib. Yeah? And then he's told, no, that's the Mu'addin. he goes, oh, what made him think I was here first? You was here first. You was here first, on yeah, your one day, your one visit to the masjid this year. Shall I slap your teeth out? <laughs> he goes, yeah, he, I am going insane, that guy. Yeah, every masjid has it. Every person, they want to a chance, they're to give the adhan. Yeah, we know. Um, he can't resign. We're going to talk about that properly. He hasn't got a great voice. He's old. He's this, that. But I'll tell you what, he fulfills the main condition that he's trustworthy. He fulfills the main condition that he's there at the time yeah, and every single yeah, and morning to open it. When everyone else is in their beds, he's the one, the last person out every single night. When you decide not to come, when you decide to leave straight away, he has to come. He can't leave straight away every single day of every single week of every single month of the year. Am miskeen. miskeen is so miskeen, so miskeen, okay, that when we have a function, like in a restaurant or event, or whatever, he, has, he can't come. Because he gets told who's going to lead the prayer and give the at the end of the, masjid, of the, of the salah. So whilst the entire masjid gets off to the fundraiser or the ganashana or someone's aqiqah or something, whatever, outside, he by himself comes and prays and some, one or two people who passing by didn't know about it. That's how yani, hard job it is. Okay? That's how hard job it is. Now we can say, you know, um, should we have a paid person? We should, if we can afford it. And because we can't, and we have someone who's there, then we will allow that volunteer to, 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 to take this position and we'll put the funds elsewhere. But I just want to say that we need to rethink this really, really big time. And I say this a lot to, to students in Pio Pesa that it does come down to uh, we have a pack problem. That pack attitude to money that we want everything for free, mates' rates, whatever. Well, there's nothing wrong with mates' rates, by the way. Okay? But, but just saying. Uh, that pack attitude, you know, we always want something for a bargain, or we want people, things, people to do things for free, whatever um, you pay you know, peanuts, you get monkeys as they say right, and um, we're not paying our, our people enough I believe our imam should be paid uh, regardless of what he's been paid now should be paid triple, and I think that the uh, community should work that out somehow, and I know it's not easy and I'm not yet any blind to those challenges and I believe that the quality of Imams uh, now is so poor because people don't put the effort into it. I would not, I, I cannot imagine myself uh, being happy with an Imam who's born in this country, for example. Because I know that they don't have the himma, yani, the actual desire to really push and perfect the art of being an Imam, whether that's the knowledge or the qira'ah or the recitation. Or, you know, there would be the, the kind of... And I'm, massive stereotypes here, but these are the people who are also, you know, caught up in life, all of its busy issues, all of its controversies, all of its difficulties and so on. Whereas the people who are from abroad still have some of that little bit of... Uh, yani they're still protected from this modern culture a little bit. And they were, in their younger years, they were very committed. And even in their older years, they're very committed. There's a massive difference between an imam who leads the people in a masjid and effectively all year round they effectively hear Juza Amma about 500 times. yep. And then you've got an imam who recites yani, from the areas of the Qur'an that you've never heard of for that whole year and he is yani, having to revise every single day. That's the kind of quality of Muslim that we will not produce in this country and it's going to get worse if we do not give the people a, an incentive to be that imam and we do not teach the people to respect their scholars more. So there's a lot of points that come out of this discussion that as a whole we need to respect this institution and that we need to start raising money. And people ask the question and in the extension of course, uh, and I'm going to probably write something about this because I don't want to take up more time now, but the issue of charging for example for knowledge and so on something which I fully believe in it is not only permissible I think that it is actually one of the only ways that the Tao is successful these days. This is a uh, um, I mean, this number of people is an exception. Generally, a voluntary, free class that's held every week will normally get three, four people. And this is a small, a, a small increase on that, okay? But, yeah, realistically speaking, people don't value knowledge anymore. And unless there's a price, then they will not come. When they see the price, they consider it to be value. And then, actually, there is value because then when they go, they realize that the, it's not as relaxed as this, Okay? I'm not, I, I, like I, what I should have done, like for example, if you had paid for this lesson, let me tell you the difference what it would be. If you had paid for this last one hour and a half, I would have translated word for word everything here and highlighted what I want to say so that I'm not pausing and wasting your time as I'm actually translating here. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would prepare beforehand and translated it and highlighted it. I'd be standing and, and, and I would be making sure that I teach with a force so that you guys are not feeling sleepy, is tired, it's tired at the long end of the day. I will not be sitting as relaxed as this. I will not be enjoying myself as much. I will feel more pressure to make sure that the point gets uh, uh, through to you. Now I know that anything we don't cover, cover next week inshallah. No one's going to, whatever. You, don't, you, didn't, you didn't pay for anything, did you? You didn't lose any money, did you? This is obviously through my my, my head. My my, um, my mindset is very, very different. So, um, you do get a different quality. Not only that, when you pay for something, it will probably come to you as well. Which is another absurdity, really. Because as you know, as the seller used to say, it's the knowledge which has gone to not the knowledge comes to you. You actually, a part of the knowledge is to go and seek it. Not for it to come to your doorstep. And today, of course, we go to different cities and we hold seminars. And you know what? That's because that's what the market is. That's how people will learn. And I'm very happy with the model because I used to be very much against it in my old days. And I did not see the benefit until I see... The amount of people that, that actually came, actually learned, actually were inspired, and I thought, well, you know what, this is a actual proof of the pudding. I never had an issue with the permissibility of it. I had an issue of the effectiveness of it. Is this really possible? Is this really true? And it turned out to be actually true. And, not only, and that's, just the, that's just the knowledge. What about the person who is teaching? We want these people, if they're going to be the people that are going to be listened to, are going to be respected because they become public figures, because they go around teaching people and are charging for that, then we want to make sure that they genuinely are that right person. So they need to be genuine scholars. They need to be genuine top people. And the only way that's going to happen, the only way that you're going to get a genuine person presenting is if that person feels that they have and they can afford to invest the time in that particular subject or that area because their costs are taken care of. They need to be paid. And so in the absence of Beitul Mal, the charging system for uh, uh, these kind of uh, conferences or classes, whatever, I think is very good. It needs to continue, it needs to increase as well, both from the level of supporting the instructors, the teachers, the scholars, from an evaluation of the knowledge, and for people to start taking things more seriously. And I think all of that is well established uh, from from this uh, from this point and one thing I want to say in closing about this principle about the way that we allow something because of the change of time there's another principle that you need to write down as well that whatever is actually allowed via fatwa whatever is legislated due to a need then that fatwa becomes void once the need is gone that fatwa, or that permission, or that concession, or that, yani, whatever, it, that legislation, that is gone, it becomes void, once the need is gone. So for example, if we saw a massive increase in the Muslims and we saw awesome people wanting to give the adhan and imams came from nowhere and it was like, you know, we're going to do this and doing a great job and whatever. Then to start paying them and start paying them adhan, and start paying the people, whatever, that should be avoided and, and it should stop and the fatwa position would then would be removed and it goes back to the principal position of the madhat. Is that clear, everybody? Okay? Yeah? Alright, good. So, the next, the next statement then, and uh, you know, uh, uh, there are a few things that I, I, I should say, um, in case people are, are doubting this, um, the correct position and the position of the majority of scholars fuqaha, it can be argued, and certainly contemporary scholars, is that this is permissible. For people to be paid from the treasury, it is permissible. And you know one of the evidences that people forget is Sayyidina Abu Bakr siddiq Say that Abu Bakr As-Siddiq himself who you can yani you know there's two things you know about him number 1 yani his quality of his iman all right in terms of is there a doubt that he does an action he gets money for that is for the sake of Allah so keep that in mind okay and number 2 um, that he was relatively wealthy relatively speaking relatively wealthy he paid himself from the Baytul mal when he was the amir al-mu'minin okay and this is the most authentic, yeah, I mean, there's some discussion about authenticity, but that's, inshallah, authentic. And so, if you see the evidences, see whatever, there is no, nothing wrong, uh, first of all. And number two, we should promote and encourage and look at ways of fundraising and increasing the Siani uh, uh, ability to attract better people to the job. Yeah. Um, quick question regarding the uh, Moustad uh, Yeah. Um, when this call is the Moustad Biki, the Moustad that, that go... Against the madhab. When the scholars give a fatwa that goes against the madhab, and of course, when we say the scholars, we are talking the scholars of that madhab. We are not talking about a mufti who says, Right, your question is, Can I give kidney donation or whatever? and he makes a fatwa and he takes from all the knowledge of the madhab. So, we're not talking about fatwa and muftis. We are talking about a technical term which is applied in fiqh. In the study... Not in usul al-fiqh... It's applied in fiqh... When you study the madhahib... Each madhhab has these terms... The madhhab And al Muftabihi. And there are other terms as well... We'll, get to, we'll come to those when it's relevant... What kind of tools do they use to come to that decision to make? The, uh, it's a very good question... What kind of parameters... And what kind of... You know, how do they avoid subjectivity... How do they avoid bias and so on... Is very difficult... That's why this tool remains in the hands of the top scholars who we trust and we know that not doing it for the sake of dunya, not doing it for the sake of pressure, but whatever. And and that's very important. That's very important that we we have confidence in them. Unless they do something outrageously obviously wrong and they are, are, are obviously and outrageously traitors, then we don't question them because their flesh is poison. We do not speak about their, their honour we respect them as much as possible, we make excuses for them when they say something that we all think, what a sellout! what a this, what a that. You know, there are many things that come to mind, many examples that come to mind. Okay? And it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, but we have to be very careful when scholars give fatwa. There's a difference between some fool saying something, and an alim saying something which sounds foolish. There's a big difference. Like, uh, so many people criticized Sheikh Al-Bani, for example. Okay? And um, Sheikh Al-Bani, you know, for me, His area was not fiqh and fatwa and so on. Okay? His area is hadith and and so and so forth. So there's already going to be an issue there. But so many people criticized him when he gave the fatwa, not fatwa, the advice where he said that the Palestinians should leave uh, Israel or they should leave this area completely and let them take it basically. And people were like, this is the khain of the universe, the trade or of the whatever, blood, this, that, whatever. And you know what? you know what, it could be 20, 30 years later now, whatever it could be, you could look back at it and say, you know what, maybe that might have been a good idea. I mean, I don't think it is, but you could argue it. You look at the amount of people who died, look at the amount of difficulties they went through, whatever, whatnot. It was an opinion, and it was from a scholar. And he gave it, not based upon his geopolitical understanding of the realities, but he gave it based upon the most important aspect in the sharia, which is the preservation of life and the preservation of standards, and the ability of the deen to grow, and maybe, whatever, so he gave, he gave the opinion, whatever, and that was a fatwa, which went against every single principle, that we know, and so on, but he did it based upon, extenuating circumstances, not Nasus, the Nasus, the text, goes exactly against that, this is an area, where, which is part of our revival, it is part of Muslim era, must be defended, there will be wars, and so on and so forth, we know that it's going to happen, so part of that, is to, 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 to wait it out, to fight it out, and yet he was going against it, so what I'm saying is that, the Muftabihi, okay, concept is, not, is something which is only applicable to madhahib uh, intrinsically, but we need to trust scholars whether within the madh'ab or outside the madh'ab when they make a position which is not yani, making sense. Okay, um, I want to I wanna quickly start because I promised that I would talk about uh, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah and Hashim Amla, and I want to make sure I do that. Okay, so the next uh, statement is um, the Mu'addin, uh, when, uh, okay, that's what we're going to cover or we'll start that today. The Mu'addin should be of good voice, trustworthy, and knowledgeable about the time. The Mu'addin should be of good voice, trustworthy, and knowledgeable about the time. Now, you might say to yourself, right, there's a few things here. First of all, uh, there's a list now that we've seen which is putting conditions down on the Mu'addin. And you look at that of good voice and knowledgeable about the time and trustworthy, and you look at the majority of the Mu'addins and and you're thinking, wait, what happened there then? Yeah, okay? The guy has no idea about the time, the guy's voice is an absolute disaster, and so on and so forth. And so what's important, not only from a classical point of view, uh, to see what the conditions were, but it's also important to assess it, that do we have to apply these, i.e., are these obligatory? That's the question, okay? And I'll just say to you now that only as a as a as a as a spoiler for next week, okay, that uh, only to be ameen to be trustworthy is the obligatory condition. The rest are recommended, okay? And even more so now, where we know that a lot of these can be covered for, yes. So, for example, when it comes to good voice, actually we have speakers, yeah. And if you have a good microphone and good speaker set up then you can whisper that and it will just knock it out, right? And so instead of shouting, you can focus more on your voice. So that's something which is nice, okay? And so that's a blessing. And of course, the alim bil waqt, okay? I'm going to discuss that properly next week. But you know what? In a time of, or In a time of time, watches, calendars, timetables... And, more importantly, other people who are knowledgeable scholars, a resident scholar, who sets the times. You just go by the times, and you got the job done. And so you can see some of these are not so applicable anymore as well. But mean, very important. We're going to talk about that. But before I, before I mention that, I just want to mention to you what um, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al said. And he said that it's very important from the fuqaha to be responsible for the people and tell them The kind of conditions that they expect from the people who take positions. Okay? That we've got to come out of this kind of romantic fairy tale idea that let anyone do whatever as long as they do it. No. Actually, you know, a lot of people kind of think that Islam is not practical. Yeah? It's more theoretical, it's not so relevant. And that's because we're not doing a great job of actually conveying it. Because if we keep talking about you know, irrelevant things, then people will get that idea. And Ibn Taymiyyah wrote a lot about this particular subject. Okay? This is one of his key areas. And, you, and, and he covers this when he talks about um, the quality. And he... Uh, 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 <laughs> that when it comes to the positions of leadership... Okay, whether they are general or specific, and you can put, you can you can you can translate that as public or private. Okay, so we're talking in the public yani, sector and the private sector, and that's key. Okay, that's although even Taymiyyah yani, said well That's effectively the public and the private sector, and there are people who are vying for those positions. Then we choose according to the needs of the institution, the needs of the role, the needs of the job. And so therefore, we will always tinker with a person. So a person, for example, uh, he wants to be a teacher. So to be a teacher, he needs to be knowledgeable. And he needs to be able to be intelligent to understand what he's talking about and apply it to the people's needs and and, and questions and whatever. But his role, what's that, what they call role um, specific, role what? His what? Job descriptions, thank you, job description. The job description for that role is not the same for the job description for the qadi, for the judge. The judge has to be super sharp, very knowledgeable of the law, I mean super knowledgeable, because he will effectively quote it, yeah, he he's like the quoting Yani yeah, guy, and he mentioned the evidences and this and that, whatever. And But he has to be super smart, he has to be able to see when people are lying, he has to be able to, 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 to uh, uh, notice when our people, you know trying it on, right? And he needs to be able to, for example, uh, have the confidence of being given a ruling that's going to go against the people. A teacher doesn't get involved in that. A teacher just you know, carries another merry way, teaching what he wants to, whatever, and no, no problem whatsoever at all. The qadi is always going to be approached, for, be bribed. There's going to be many people of the power positions, they will always hook you up, and this is the qadi and whatever. And it's difficult to avoid that, alright? How are you going to be able to manage that? So there's different things. And... Uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, of course, he wrote a, an essay on this matter in al Sharia, which I taught in Ilm Summit uh, two years ago. And if you remember that, whoever attended that, you remember that what we covered was his idea for the ruler and how important it was to understand that it's not always necessarily the scholar that should be the one that should rule the country. There needs to be someone who understands the importance of power and discipline. And there needs to be a person who, you know what, if we have a deficiency in his knowledge, but we have a more forceful man, a more powerful man, we'll take that. Because you know what, it's difficult to have that forcefulness and that confidence, but it's always easy to find a scholar to, to check with, to get your positions right, and so on and so forth. So much so, that if you understand this principle, you will appreciate that at every level, when we are faced with these questions, we should be confidently putting people into these positions that we, we feel that are going to be best for it. So, for example, when people say to me, you know, should I enter politics, okay, uh, 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 you know, and we know that pol- the, the political realm is the one that needs to be cracked, okay, uh, politics and media, and maybe even media more so, frankly, but um, should I get into politics uh, uh, and, and uh, should I make my way up to the M- M- MP position or should I go whatever, and I'm going to be very honest and say here in front of you know, people who I consider close, i.e. my students, that there's a statement for, uh, that I said in private and there's a statement which is said in public. In public, we say it's important to go out there and engage and whoever can go, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to a small group of practicing people, okay, people that you care about, then you know what? Going into politics is as dirty a business and as difficult to your iman as it comes. I never saw anyone who went into politics except they were affected by the politics. I, was, I didn't see anyone who went in and was able to, you know, and I'm not saying that's impossible, but I'm saying that, that when you're speaking to a practicing person who is like a embryonic stem cell, who has ability to do so many good things and such super quality, pure and clean and practicing, and do I want to put him through this fire so that he can become my MP versus someone and I hate this to come across the bad way because it's impossible to have this discussion, but, you know, I won't name the MPs, but some Muslim MPs that we have out there, okay, we would say support those Muslim MPs. Push those people, because you know what? (coughs) When a person's dirty, a little bit more dirt, and it's not going to hurt you, That's you know? That's what basically what I want to say, Yani. Yeah, without coming across as judgmental and whatever, you understand the point. When a person's already, you know, messed up, and when a person's already, or you've got no hope for this person, or he's not going to become the imam, he's not become, he's not going to go out and do the dawah, he's not going to. But you know what? He has enough of an Islamic identity to have got there. And you know what? Uh, uh, he probably doesn't really care about his this and that and whatever. Maybe he doesn't pray. Maybe he's this. Maybe he's that. Well, you know what? Uh, I don't want to say because I know I'll get caught on camera here and it will be recorded somewhere and whatever, whatnot. But I hope you understand the point. That we push people forward for the roles that are best to be in those positions because of the qualities that they have. And that's and this is Ibn Taymiyyah's whole life story. He talks about this so much. And that's why it's important for us to be proactive and and, and deep thinking when it comes to our Positions in Dawa when it comes to our spokespeople and so on. And in the last couple of days, I've been writing some pieces on Facebook, warning uh, Muslims to be careful of not, yani, uh, staying in their lane, okay, of of understanding their restrictions, yani, sticking to what they are able to do, and not yani wanting to try and be someone that they can't be or aren't or shouldn't be. I never ever say that they they are unable to become that person. But until you become that person, don't be that person or try to pretend to be that person and speak about the deen or try and take a leadership position. A a friend of mine contacted me today and said that one of our representatives went on to the radio, for example, and, and he said that he was an imam. He's not an imam in any sense. He's not qualified Islamically in any way. And he was speaking about the Muslim community and giving some statements. And he was speaking on behalf of the Muslim community and he made a complete mess of it. A complete mashup of it. Okay, when I checked on Radio Five, it's like it's embarrassing, and you just you feel sorry for. I feel sorry for myself, and I feel sorry for him. Yeah, and it's it, it's the love of the wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, wanting to be read, wanting to be spoken of, and so on. And I think what people need to do is to understand that, um, you know, what we should respect people more for who they are, and then push them to be strong in that area without closing doors for them to be the person they want to be. That's fine. But then qualify yourself, learn, study, prepare, you know, get the experience. And then be that person if you're not happy with who you are. And so if you're great at, for example, speaking non Muslims, then focus on that and don't get into the areas which are for Muslim scholars. Or if you're great at politics, don't give us the fiqh and say to us, you know, that uh, the ruling on homosexuality is this and the ruling on cloning is that. Just stick to your politics, stick to your whatever and say that I made reference to the Muslim Council of Britain or I made reference to the scholars of this, whatever... People should, you know, stick to where they are. So that's a, that's a point which I've been taking. And uh, the Hashim Amla point, okay, for all the cricket fans, and if you're not a cricket fan, then, then it's your tough, you should be a cricket fan, okay? Hashim Amla is a very good example of this principle in play. Hashim Amla is obviously the majority of you will, uh, will, will know and should know. If not, for me, he is the uh, top number one. Muslim, practicing Muslim, sports person in the world. There's no doubt. And that's a big statement because we have this sister as well. Sister, I think her name is Ibtihaj or something like that, okay? Ibtihaj Muhammad or something like that. And she's an American, black American sister. I don't know if she's a convert. I don't think she's a convert, okay? But she's like the world's top female fencer. Yeah, so she's like number one, Right? So when I make this statement, we're talk- taking a number of things into uh, uh, play. We're looking at sports and where you are in respect of that sport. Like someone said, uh, uh, Ozil, for example, of Arsenal, right? Which is a good point, right? When you think about it, because he's obviously a very international figure. He's well recognized. He's very famous. But I'm not talking about famous. I never said famous. I said top sports person in their sport or any sport. Ozil is not in top 10. I don't think he's in top 10. Maybe top 20. Maybe top twenty uh, of the world's top no. footballers. Top twenty? You mean top thirty? You mean top hundred? Özil yeah. no. in a top hundred? Yeah. Have you lost your mind? Who's <laughs> 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 right? Who's yeah. Özil? Özil, see a Gora over there. I no, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Gora you are. Top 100, top 100. He wants to call him Mesud Özil. That's what he wants to call it. Okay. His name is Masud Özil. All right. He's Turkey. All right. He's not German like he wants to flag. Right. He's a Turk right, Masoud an uh, Arsenal player, okay, he's definitely not top 100 or top 50, it's <coughs> top 20 I think maybe, I thought maybe he might get top 10, but anyway, but uh, uh, so I'm saying, as a person he's been at top of his game, Hashim Amla was number one batsman for a, number of years, for a couple of years and then he's been in top 2, 3 and now he's come down to 8, and that was in line, and if you know Hashim Amla, you know that he is the personification of complete, just cool calm, chill, He's like, you know, he's unflappable. Everyone who looks at him, they, is, he, ha, he has such a, a haba, uh, a sense of gravitas around him, which is amazing. I find this the funniest thing of all. That whenever the teams that play him, however dirty scum they are, okay, and I mean by that sledging wise, yeah, that they, you know, what happens in cricket, it's a dirty game, you know. You know, when you're there batting all the people who are around, all close, they're not the only blowing kisses. They're saying, your mum, your dad, your crap, your this, that, whatever. What kind of shot was that? This, that, whatever. This is what they're saying, Bobs. Yeah, yeah, they're saying that. Every single shot, what happened there, you rubbish, whatever. All to try and get the batsman angry, get them to, you know, say, right, well, I'll show you. And lose control for that second, but take a big swipe, or to run out to the spinner and be stuck. You know what, that's the whole point. That's the whole, the whole strategy of the game, is to unnerve him. And you need that sense of nastiness because you're going to go up to a person without any, yeah, right? without any reason and start cursing the guy. Right? So that requires a nastiness and a meanness. right? And he doesn't do it at all. And he is when he's there, you can see it doesn't affect him when, he's, when it was done to him. And now the team's there scared of doing it to him because they respect him. They keep saying he's too nice a guy. <laughs> he's just too nice a guy. Yeah, I mean, why we feel bad? And these are khabiz people who are saying this. They do it to everyone and anyone. They do it to their own players when they're playing them in the small teams, in, this, in, the, in, the, in the franchises. They do it to their own national teammates, but they won't do it to Hashem Amla. He had such a massive impact upon the people because of his soul, so nice, so nice. People call him a pacifist because he's so quiet, so whatever, etc. And what's interesting is that two years ago, he became South African captain. Okay, of the test side. And let me tell you that the, the cricketing uh, world and test cricket is a dirty, tough area. And not just, you know, what I'm saying on the field, and not just behind the scenes in politics and whatever, and also obviously very difficult decisions when you've got a friend who's very close to you and you say that you're not being picked. And you're the one who has to make that phone call. You're the one who's going to make that decision. And people then hating on you, swearing at you when you get things right, wrong, your family being called into question, this, that, blah, 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 blah. So you got the best batsman in South Africa and the number one leading figure in the world uh, at that time. It was obvious to give him the captain seat because he's the most biggest representative of South African cricket at that time. But he wasn't right for the job. All right. Just to apply this kind of rule. He wasn't right for it. He took it. Because it was an honor for him. He took it because he knew that with this added profile, his message, his Ziyani profile as a Muslim, whatever, would go through the roof. And it did. Okay? But you know what? He shouldn't have taken it. Islamically speaking, he shouldn't have taken it. Because the kind of cricket that wins today is aggressive in your face cricket. Fast decisions, hard moves, hard decisions. Everything which Hashim Amla isn't. And after a year and a half today, he, you know, after... Um, it's very interesting because his form, his batting, and therefore his reputation has been collapsing. He went down from five to six to eight. He's lost h- over half of his games and so on and so forth, right? And so we're seeing all of that happen. And so, because one, it was a wrong decision practically, and two, Islamically it was a wrong decision as well. He wasn't cut out for it. And I said to people today that, you know what? He took that decision, Bobs, to resign the captaincy after Durban. After the loss of this, of this last game, he took the decision... That I'm going to whatever happens in this test match, which just finished today, I'm going to resign. And you know, Subhanallah, it's like the whole thing is lifted off him because in this game, completely different. He made 200 runs, okay. He brought South Africa back from a, what seemed an impossible position, right? And you know, and at the end of the game, he could now you could see he's whole different. And then he just stuck to his principle. He could have blagged it and said, you know what? There's my comeback. That's how good I am as a captain. I made the England boys yeah, I mean, for, can you imagine a team that makes 600 runs and Alistair Cook you know I was, I was amazed that he admitted it Right? they asked him today the England captain did you boys feel nervous yeah and you know what he should have said he should have said no nervous what we made 600 runs but the, he, he, he goes yeah we were nervous we lost this game a team makes <coughs> 600 runs and then he lost the game and it shows yeah, I mean, that Hashim Amla could have said see that's our quality and our bounce. but he didn't and he accepted that you know what he's ruining his own game, and he's not the person for the job. And they put another guy in. Ibn Taymiyyah folks. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Bob. Have a, have a shot. Isn't it brave to say that obviously the position of leadership, but one doesn't know how he's going to develop in that area until he actually gets himself tested in that area? Yeah, and your point is, is that it was Isn't a mistake for him to take it in the first place? No, I just I, no, no. I, I think it was a mistake in the first place. But I'm trying to say, point for you to say, Islamically, it was wrong for him to take it. I am not very what I mean by that, what I mean is Islamically wrong for him to take it in the first place, so that everyone understands, is that if you know... Now, I'm not saying that he made the... the, 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 the he did the Islamically wrong thing. I'm saying that us looking at it from an Islamic point of view, yeah. it was a wrong decision. Yeah. Him taking it, that position, yeah. it was clear in his mind, he's an experienced batsman, he knows that it's a dirty game out there. But he thought that I can change it. Like, 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 like Jeremy Corbyn. I can bring a new style of politics. Okay? And he's finding out the most difficult thing in the world and he's getting cussed for it day and night. Jeremy Corbyn. Hashim Amla is exactly the same. I'm going to be still Hashim Amla and I'm still going to be... It's not possible. That's what he realized. He thought... Because, and, and you know we talk about this, um, and we are going to, I mean look at this, even Sheikh Ertameen is supporting me here, okay? He says, the Ifrit, which is the, the chief jinn that said to Sulaiman, which I'm going to talk about in the time when it comes to the, uh, when Sulaiman said, who's going to bring me the Arsh of Bilqis, right? Who's going to bring me the, the throne of the Queen of, uh, of Sheba? And he said to Sulaiman, وَإِنِّي عَلَيْهِ لَقَوِيٌ amin. Let me do this, I will deal with this. I'm the most able, I'm the most trustworthy. Watch me do this. And he did it. Okay? Meaning that he was confident in his own ability. It's not a cert, a dead cert, that he could do it. But he, and that's why we believe it's permissible because and scholars did say that is it permissible for a person to, to talk about themselves? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, right? Allah says, don't praise yourselves. Don't make care of your own selves. He's the one who knows who is most God-fearing amongst you. Yeah, So you come to a job interview and they say, "Well, what do you, what, what do you want to say? Well, I'm the, I'm the top man for this. I'm the most qualified. That's exactly what you're doing. You're praising yourself. Who do you think you are? So we counter that by saying that if you genuinely are the right person for it, okay, what you're not allowed to do is to make this care of yourself about things that you don't know of. i.e. that I'm forgiven, that I have mercy upon me, I'm going jannah, all this kind of nonsense, yeah? You don't know nothing about that. As for, you know, I'm hafiz the quran Well, yeah, because I'm the quran right? I know inheritance because I studied it, right? So, you're not going to say I'm going to keep that quiet because yeah, I'm so modest, whatever. The guy says, if you want a position, you've got to be hafiz the quran Oh, I'm so modest, I can't yeah, I apply because I can't say I'm hafiz the quran It's a joke. So, like you know, we know, Yusuf alayhi said the same, Musa alayhi was was said of to be the same, and the Ifrit says the same, whatever. So, uh, uh, if you are the right person for it, you should sell it on, on its merits, and that's what we consider Hashim to have done, no doubt about it. And he realized that he wasn't the guy for it. And, but what I found really interesting, uh, Bob, uh, I never knew that he said this today, okay? But, I, but it's a quote, but I haven't seen the source for it, is that, you know, there's the idea that he was a reluctant captain. Reluctant, reluctant captain. That you know that it was being put upon him because Graham Smith suddenly just went whatever he said today and I actually thought it'd have was worse as well that he maybe he was. And he said today he goes, that is, that's, that, he goes, that's, um, that's an insult, or something like that." He goes, He goes, uh, "I wanted that position." He goes, "Do you think that I don't know what I'm getting into?" He goes, "Do you think I can get away with looking like this and not know what I'm doing?" <laughs> he smashed it, bro. He smashed it, so he actually went for it, yeah, and knowing, and you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know. But anyway, yeah. So, question on the position of each. You mentioned that if somebody is most qualified, most experienced, has technical expertise in any area, yes, it's not Islamic, and he realizes that in his community he is the best qualified. He yes, self-forward. Yes. One of well, the counters to that is that. That says hadith Prophet says that the person who seeks leadership yes. should not be given it. Yes. What do you say about that? So that Good. Very good question. Alright? This hadith causes a lot of problems to people. That the Prophet ﷺ specifically and not just not just not just that, but he actually warned his close companions that it's something that he disliked as one of his personal kind of preferences. That his close companions seek the positions of of leadership. And so the the, the said that when it comes to um when it comes to any kind of uh, uh, important uh, position that we know that uh, a good, qualified person is, is able to do it, okay, that a person themselves, and they know there are many in the community that can do it, then they shouldn't put themselves full forward. And that's the understanding of the Hadith. However, when there's the absence of these people, or that need has to be fulfilled, and people are not going for it, or people who are unqualified are going for it, then not only is the hadith not applicable, but it's the obligatory to understand the opposite. It is obligatory upon the correct person then to stand up and then to do it, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and especially if it involves enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. So, um, in short answer to your question, if there is a person who there is a position within their ability, won't affect them adversely, and it should be and it's something they should naturally fall into. That person should stand up and not be worried about the fact that they are being elected and going to have to go for a campaign and so on and so forth. It's because of the need. Because of the need. However, the exact opposite is if there is an Amir, Amir al and he's about to choose the next one and he has a small council of six people and he trusts them, it would be a and disaster if these six people saying me, 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 whatever this should be chosen and the Amir al-Mu'mineen makes that choice based upon the characteristics that they know of these people and they are generally all yani, in that same area of qualification so that's the actual context of the hadith that's the actual context of the hadith Let's two questions online if there are any any questions here no what's a shot uh, so you are saying that you know the person is best uh, in his uh, I mean, education or leadership or anything what if a person is not best what you believe that he is the right person for the job? So, that, that's what we just explained, we, if a person, it's not belief, they've, it's got to be belief with some facts, because there are many you know, people out there who believe lots of things, yeah? I mean, you know, that's half the problem, and we're releasing reminders after reminders and people are saying, oh, it's not me, it's not me, yeah? <laughs> you know people believe what they want, it's, it's crazy. I mean, this guy who went onto the radio today, I think he must have been told by myself or other people, go and study, go and do, tell someone else to, whatever, you're embarrassing us. I believe I'm the best guy, I'm, the, I'm this, that. What can you do? Everyone believes. So belief, like, you know, it's got to be backed up with some kind of facts. Some kind of facts. I mean, you look at the case of this Ifrit, okay? I mean, he said, I'm going to deal with this. I'm the most able and whatever. And he compared himself to the other one, who said, I'll bring it in a, in, a, in, a, in a jiffy, okay? And, and, and my man here said, a jiffy's way too long, watch this. <laughs> you see what I'm trying to say? So he was super confident, knew he had the ability, and he proved it. So it's not about being best. You've got to be able to prove it as well. There's got to be something there. Don't forget to do the poll, please. Okay. A reminder again, for those who might have joined the lesson late, Make sure that you check your emails and online on a portal. Answer that, poll. It's really important that we understand direction for that transcribe notes. I mean, you know, we've got the ability and the money and the time and the whatever to go ahead with the project, but it's got to be known that there are people who see value in it. Like, imagine this lesson transcribed. Someone reading about Hashim Amla, they're going to get <laughs> so upset, so upset. In 20 years, they'll say, who's Hashim Amla? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. When you say, if i its it, is it personal value or if we think of say, no 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 but, uh, everything personal value other people's value you're a person uh, that, that, uh, uh, a personal value is as important as your assumption for the other people because we can only make assumptions we're making assumptions up until now so the people themselves need to give their opinion the, for you is it not or can you see and or can you see other people benefiting from it or not yeah when we reading the books talking about this what did when we're reading the book about the Mu'addin. Only about yeah. the And then we had full discussion about the and the country, Yes, yes. The that's right. Only, I, I applied it to the Imam just to save us the discussion when it comes. Because when we come to the Imam, the same point will come. And that's the reason we thought we'd deal with it all now. Logical progression, innit? <laughs> yeah. Take it then. khair. Ash'adu an la illa anta wa wa atubu